We've come to the start of our summer series. We, we've taken a break from Matthew. And so over July and August, there are a few of us uh, preaching on this theme, uh, the power of don't, because there are many times in the Bible uh, that we may have heard uh, that the Bible is just a rule book sometimes, just a list of do's and don'ts. You know, that, that actually as you read the Bible, if you go through the book of Leviticus, maybe in particular, it says you will see the list of laws and do's and don'ts there that add up to over 600. And sometimes people assume that the Bible is just that, just a rule book. And the Bible itself is a guidebook for life. There's, there's no avoiding that. We have to accept that, that it is a guidebook. It's, it's not just a guidebook, but it is a guidebook in the sense that it helps us um, in the journey of life that we live. It speaks specifically about some things that we are to do and not to do, and generally about other things as well that we, we look at and stuff. But... Um, but those things we look at is we have to come and as we look at this series, we're going to look at the, the idea that, that God has a reason behind uh, everything that he says to us. God has a reason behind all the words that are written in scripture. And so when we look at the do's and the don'ts, you know, we look at it and say, well, what's the reason behind what God is saying to help us all on this journey of life in our faith? You know, if you, you've got kids, and when your kids are younger, they'll ask you questions, you know, and you'll tell them, you know, do, do this, but don't do that. And their first response is, why? And your response, well, my response was always, because I told you. Now, that works till they get a bit older, and they get a bit cheekier, and then they begin to ask you, but, but why? Why are you telling us not to do something? And, to, and then you have to give the reason. And stuff, but you know, and God doesn't operate like that. He doesn't operate with the sort of idea that if we ask Him why we're to do some stuff and not to do other stuff, He doesn't just say, Well, because I told you. There's actually a reason behind it, there's actually a purpose to the words that God speaks. So we, we read scripture and we look at the Bible, not it's not about just doing the do's in a sense and avoiding the don'ts, that, that actually the Bible speaks of faith. Uh, and when the Bible speaks of faith, it's not just the assumption, it's, it assumes that people reading it already believe that God exists. You know, when we read the Bible, the Bible is not there to prove that God exists. From the beginning, it tells us that God does exist, all the way through Scripture, right to the end of Revelation. You know, the Bible in itself, much like where we are, is, is on a journey. It's a journey from beginning to end with God, speaking of God's people on a journey, speaking of us, we relate to it because we are all on a journey. Uh, and so when it comes to speak of faith, it's not that belief in the existence of God, it, it, the faith that it speaks about is the faith that is required on this journey of life that we're on. Uh, and it's a faith that trusts God for his help, his strength in all that we require. You see, you can only do some of the things that, that you're commanded to do in scripture simply by faith. It absolutely makes no sense sometimes to pray for our enemies, to love those who hurt us, to, to bless those who curse us. Uh, and so we look at it and say, well, we actually need something there. There's a reason why God expects us to do these things and helps us to do these things. And so we interpret the reading of the passages that we're going to be looking at over the something, uh, all of them concerning the, the do's and the don'ts of some of the scriptures that we're going to look at. 
not as a ticking off exercise of if we do this or we don't do this then we've ticked off and we've done the right thing but actually a commitment of faith in God that we're trusting him when it doesn't always make sense why would it make sense to forgive people that have hurt us well why does it make sense to pray for our enemies why does it make sense to actually go out of our way as we'll look at tonight to do good to those that hurt us it only makes sense with God it only makes sense in the journey of faith that we are on in this life with God uh, and so there is a power in a sense in in the don't and that's why we've called this a power of don't because there's that power of not doing some of the stuff that maybe comes to us naturally but doing the stuff that comes to us spiritually and that's where the challenge is and none of this is easy because let's not pretend it's easy some of the stuff we get challenged by sometimes if we are people that have been hurt by somebody I said listen it's not easy to forgive people let's be honest here it's not easy to do good to somebody who has not done good to you or has done bad to you or speaks badly of you but on this journey of the Christian life it says we never promised that it would be easy but we are promised that God would be with us would give us the strength and the help that we need to do what we need to do so our opening sermon this morning comes from Paul's letter to the church in Galatia the Galatian church uh, the background to this is this there was a split in the church between those who believed that the Gentiles who had got saved the non-Jews had got saved had to follow the law basically they had to be circumcised and do all of the stuff that, that followed the law but but they were saying well actually we don't because there's freedom in Christ Jesus and so we, 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 we believe in Christ and so the law is just for, for the, old, the old days it's not for now and so they've come and so Paul wrote to remind them that the law was imper imperfect and temporary measure meant to point the people to Christ and so that's where the dividers come in the church and he knew that much like we are today that they were feeling weighed down by the responsibilities of daily Christian living. Being a Christian, a follower of God, is the best thing that people can do with their lives. I'm absolutely, totally convinced of it, which is good because I'm standing behind the pulpit as a pastor. But I'm convinced of it, and to share that with others, but I'm also convinced of this, there are tremendous responsibilities with the daily Christian living of actually choosing to do what God expects us to do as believers and that's where the challenge is that's where the hard bit is and Paul understood that as he wrote to the different churches and so Paul writes the verses we're going to look at by telling us not to grow weary in doing good because he wants to uplift their spirits and give them some encouragement so he writes these verses at the end of Galatians 6 verse 7 to 10 he says, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest, if we do not give up. Therefore... As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. 
And so there are three do nots in here that help us just in these verses. And, and when the Bible is written, there's a, always a practical application to what we read. We don't read the Bible just to fill our head with knowledge and theology and doctrine. That becomes the foundation of the application of why we live the way that we live. But it tells us, it says, you know, do not be deceived. It says, you know, do not give up and, and do not become weary. And so just in these verses, Paul helps us here with some of the practical living that we have to do as believers. And so the first thing he opens up, and this is towards the end of the letter, after he's challenged them, he gives them the practical application. He says, do not be deceived. And he gives a reason why. He says, God cannot be mocked. Now, if you're deceiving somebody, you're misleading them. You're, you're, you're believing what is false and denying what is true. It could be somebody who strays from the truth, to wander from the truth, to roam into error, to be led astray, uh, to deviate from the correct path of the truth. He says, the reason why is this, he says, God cannot be mocked. He says, the idea that, that God can be mocked, the feeling that someone is, or something is unworthy of one's consideration or respect. Now, simply the truth of it is this, you simply cannot ignore or disregard what God has to say. He says, as believers, uh, as people who have not yet become believers, we read the Bible because we discover and find out what it is that God has to say to us. And Paul brings it to the Galatians here, where he said, listen, do not be deceived. The reason why is, don't build your life on your own opinion. Don't build your life on what you think God is saying to you. Find out what God is actually saying. Because what happens a lot of the time is we form our own opinions about so many different things and we actually look at it and we're being deceived in a sense. Ah, oh, well, I don't like what the Bible says about that, so maybe we'll, we'll adjust it a little bit and, and it doesn't really mean that, so we'll, 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 we'll use that bit. And all that is is the church being deceived. All that is, is a believer's being deceived. If you asked me one question today and said, what's the biggest issue with Christians in the church today? I would actually tell you that I believe it's the ignorance of scripture. And I know people would say, oh, well, that's a heavy thing, but, it, but that's what I believe. I believe it's the ignorance of scripture that actually, that they would listen to what people say. They, they would watch what somebody is saying, whether online, or through video they maybe would read something but they would not actually go and discover what it is that the word has to say for themselves from God and that's what I believe is the biggest challenge today uh, and, and you see what we come to when we see this we look at it and say that Paul says actually uh, do not be deceived it says God cannot be mocked Charles Finney the great preacher he wrote this he said this about it, he said, he says, to mock God is to pretend to love and serve him when you do not. To act in a false manner, to be insincere and hypocritical. Thus our professions, pretending to obey him, love, serve and worship him when we do not. Mocking God grieves the Holy Spirit, sears the conscience, and thus the bands of sin become stronger and stronger. The heart becomes gradually hardened by such a process. Now, now why am I saying all of this as an opener? Because the foundation of it is believing what God actually says. 
It's actually building else. Most people get into confusion because they read scripture, decide that they don't like what it says in scripture, and then look for an alternative view and say, well, that's a softer approach. That's a nicer approach to people. We have to believe what the word says. We mustn't be deceived. That's why the do not here is so important as the opener. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. We've got to put our trust and faith in him. But he moves on then and he uses the act of sowing and reaping. Now, we know that sowing is the act of spreading or scattering. Reaping is the act of harvesting or gathering. But the idea behind it is this. Whatever you sow is whatever you'll reap further down the line. Now, I grew up in Birmingham. Not many farms near where I grew up in Birmingham and stuff. But I did, when I finished Bible college, when, and you've heard this before, went to work on a potato farm. Uh, I just got married to Athena. Athena had a year to finish her college. I couldn't find any jobs. But the local farm were looking for potato graders. Now, that's a very important job. Because what you did was, as the potatoes came along the conveyor belt, it says what you did, you, you had to pick out... The, the different sorts of potatoes. So if they were good potatoes, they were going to walk as crisps. Walkers very famous in England. They're like potato, but better. And, uh, <laughs> and, and as the potatoes came along, he says, you put the walkers in there, but if any of the potatoes had knobbly bits on them, they sort of went to the lesser sort of thing. And all day, potatoes coming along. I remember having to go out into the field uh, and as you went along the field, they dug the potatoes up and you had to, you know, it was all done by machines and just looking at potatoes all day. Uh, but I understood the principle then of sowing and reaping because once they dug the fields up of all the potatoes and, and there was literally thousands of tons of them, they saw we were getting ready for the sowing process again. Uh, and, 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 and the whole principle works both in the natural but and in the spiritual. Because God has a principle of sowing and reaping. He says we plant seed to reap fruit. And we see it in the spiritual as well as what we sow. You see, this is what we do. I mean, we're, we're, we're an instant people, aren't we? I mean, you know, listen, last week, I ate lettuce, apple and a banana all on the same day. On Wednesday. On Thursday, when I looked in the mirror, I hadn't got any thinner. I wondered, what was the problem? Because we look for an instant result. He says, how many of us sometimes we pray one prayer and believe God will answer it the next day? Or, or we put a pound in our savings plan thinking, that's us, we can retire now. Because we want the instant. And actually the spiritual principle here that they're talking about is this is what we sow, we'll reap. But we may reap it further down the line. A lot more years down the line. Because the principle is there. And actually, Paul goes on further because he says, this is your two choices. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap destruction. If you sow to please the spirit, you will reap eternal life. The choice is clear, isn't it? That he gives. Job says in Job 4 verse 8, he says, As I have observed, those who plough evil and those who sow trouble, reap it. So we can see there that what happens now, the farmer reaps the same as he has sown, but not exactly. Let me explain. You plant an apple seed, you don't get more apple seeds. You get more apples with seeds. Do you, do you, yeah, you get what I mean? Some of you are looking to be confused. I was confused as well, but think about it. 
It says the apple seed doesn't just grow more apples, but more apples with seeds. And so when we sow to the Spirit, it's not about us reaping the material things that God has for us. Actually, it's about reaping the spiritual things that God has for us. And, And that's why the challenge goes out to the church in Galatia here, that simply, hold on a second, it says, listen, you can live this way. You live, if you, if you sow to the flesh, you will reap that, just that in an instant gratification. But if you sow in the spirit, you will reap eternal, everlasting life. And it's a general application, isn't it? And it not almost as, you know, the, the, we get out of life, in a sense, what, what we put into it. Now, now, Paul's not promoting some law of spiritual karma here, that sort of, you know, well, if I put this in, I get this out and stuff, but... There is a principle that works in the natural, that works in the spiritual. If we devote ourselves to certain things spiritually, we will reap that spiritually. How's your prayer life? How's the study of the word? How's it? What you sow there, you will reap. Uh, And that's why Paul is challenging the church here. And as I said, we need patience to do that. Uh, And Paul says this, he says that spiritually speaking, that now is the planting time. And he says, as long as we have the opportunity to do good. So he says, plant now, do something now. Do you know what preaching and ministry is a lot of the time? It's just planting seeds. He says, you've got the, the man up on Friday night and Stevie fancy smoke. He says, we talked after and he said, you, you just plant seeds. You throw a lot of seeds out, don't you? You don't know where those seeds land and you don't know where they're going to grow and you don't know what God is going to do with them most importantly. And he says, that's the truth of it. We just sow a lot of seeds. I don't know what God is going to do. There are times that you come and you, you preach and you think, oh, that was terrible. That was the worst sermon I've ever preached. And I've preached some bad sermons. But actually, sometimes after, somebody will say, maybe a sermon you preached on this particular, and it was just what I needed to hear on that day. Uh, because I never want to get caught up in, no, this is about me. It's not, it's about what God does. But it's what God does with the seeds that are scattered. That's why the sowing is so important. You throw the seeds out, you don't know well, where they're going to grow or how they're going to grow, but God knows. Uh, and that's most important. Uh, you know, and God often deals with... Uh, Uh, You know, God often deals with the simple. Uh, In the simple, if you sow in the spirit, you will reap all that he has for you. And that's the choice that's presented. And you see, the grace of God does not eliminate the principle of choice and consequence. Listen, there is a consequence for every action that we commit. That's natural law as well as spiritual law. The grace of God does not eliminate that. It says we live with our choices in a sense. We live with the decisions that we make. We must not lie to ourselves where we're deceiving ourselves that God cannot be mocked. And so we come to the second part, the second one where Paul says, you know, it's this. He says, do not be deceived. But the second one is, do not become weary in doing good. It says Galatia was written to the church and he said it compromised of the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, and so there was different theological challenges and questions that people had. The Jews are telling the Gentiles one thing. And Paul writes his letter to correct the heresy uh, in the church. That simply salvation is not by works. That actually you've got work your way in. 
by working hard or giving money or doing something that gets you into heaven. Paul, and Paul writes to them to tell them that. But, but there is a truth that we have to understand as well, and, and this is so important, that, that actually we are, we are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. And I, and I think that sets us apart as believers. Now listen, I would say it to this, if you never did any good works, you wouldn't be any less saved. I mean, if that's the truth of it, it says we're not, you're not earning after you get saved. But the response to being saved is that we want to do good, isn't it? I mean, the response to being saved is actually we want to do good. God has done good to us. So we want to do good uh, to others as a representation of what God has done for us. And so we come to this, and he says this, and he says, this, he says, don't become weary in doing this. Uh, because it, that's a difficulty sometimes. It's a challenge, isn't it? It says doing good is hard work. When you do good for people sometimes, it says they don't always appreciate it. You've done something good for somebody and they just sort of take it, walk away, and they don't say thank you. Yeah, we've been there, haven't we? You know, sort of like, you just sort of, hold on a second, you know. You, the human part of us wants a bit of credit. We, we want a bit of, you know, hold on a second, I've just done something for you. And, you know, and people don't respond. In it. They just think, oh, well, well that's, the, you know, that's, that, that's you're supposed to do that. You know, it just, just doesn't say, well, that's your job. That's what you're here for. You know, you're like, hold on a second, just that response, because doing good is hard work. And it's misinterpreted sometimes, or people think, what are they after? You know, when you do something nice for somebody, and they then think, what's he after? What's he looking for? There's an ulterior motive here. Some of you are thinking of me, it's not me, but you're thinking. Says, what's your ulterior motive? Why? Because doing good is hard work. Uh, and... It's harder when people begin to think, if I do good, does it really matter? You know, does it, you know when, whenever you do good and people think, does it really matter if I do what I do? Well, according to Paul here, it does. According to Paul, because he says, actually, he says, do not become weary in doing good. He says, now the first thing is this, is actually the people were becoming weary in doing good. Maybe because people were neglecting them, Maybe because people were mistreating them. Maybe people were taking them for granted in, in the niceness. And oftentimes people confuse you being nice as a weakness. And so people may mistreat you because of that. And that's why Paul says here, he says, don't become weary in doing good. But he gives a reason as well, because whenever the do-nots are given, the reason for it is given afterwards. Because he says you will reap a harvest at the set time. That you just keep going and keep going and keep going. And at some point, the set time, which is God's time, you will reap a harvest for doing good. That's why we don't become weary. So actually, it's not about whether people respond to us or say to us, look, well done, thank you for doing that. You know, well done, we appreciate. Well, it doesn't matter whether people do that at all. What matters, again, like the seed being scattered, is God at the right time will bring the harvest. That actually the doing good that we do actually will reap a harvest. As long as we don't become 
weary and go on to the third part of the third do not, which is simply this, and it ties together, which is do not give up. In the ancient world, the phrase translated lose heart, it was used for the kind of fear and weariness a woman would experience during labour before delivery. It describes a time when the work is hard and painful, but also unfinished and unrewarded. It's easy to lose heart when we feel like that, but that is exactly when we must hang on and not grow weary in doing good. That we simply keep going, keep going, keep going. Perseverance is underrated sometimes when it comes to, to church, to Christian life, to ministry. But she just simply says, don't give up. Keep going. And don't give up just simply means, hey, we just keep going. We keep going no matter what comes. No matter what happens, we keep going. That wherever you are today in your circumstance and situation, you may feel like giving up, but it is just a feeling. It says we do not give up, we do not become weary in doing good because we know that God simply is in control of everything that is going on. And so that's what we hold on to today. And, it, and Paul writes this to the church because when, when, when you read Galatians, you see that even as it comes to, towards the end here, Paul has challenged them all the way through the letter Listen, the fruit of the Spirit, this is the way that you should live. Don't give in to the sinful desires of the flesh. He's been very practical in everything that he has to say. He finishes his letter with this. And those last two there, do not become weary in doing good. A church exists to glorify Christ, but to do good as well. We should be do-gooders. That's the way we are. Jesus went around doing good, it says to us in Acts chapter 10 that's what we do he says that in that we glorify Christ and so when Paul says this here he says don't become weary and don't give up so if you're looking for a word today if you're looking for something that helps you today in your situation and circumstances is don't quit don't give up keep going the feeling is exactly that it is just a feeling and with this I finish when it feels like nothing is happening God is often doing his greatest work, which is so true because we're basing it on our feelings and not on what we know. And when it feels like nothing is happening, when we feel like giving up, when we feel weary and burdened on the journey of life, it says we simply hold on to God because God is often doing his greatest work when sometimes it seems like he's silent, when sometimes he's teaching us a lesson about patience and endurance and persistence and perseverance. Let us not become weary today, church, in what we have to do. Let's, let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. The challenge of your word is we base our lives upon your word. It is the foundation of that that we live out in our lives. Father, help us not to be deceived by what others may say, by things we may hear, by stuff we may watch. But Father, build our lives upon that, the foundation of your word. And Father, as we come today, we take what Paul says to the church. Do not become weary in doing good. Do not give up. 
Father, for those who are weary in here, give them the strength and their help today, Father. Father, for those who feel like giving up, Father, it is just a feeling. It's not the knowledge of knowing that you are with them, even though it seems to them that you are silent. And Father, we're encouraged by that last word that says, even when we feel like giving up, you are often doing your greatest work. We keep going because at the set time, at your time, we will reap a harvest. And Father, we hold on to that truth and that encouragement today. In Jesus' name, Amen.